Hi, John. Hi, Marilyn. How's it going? Good. Why do you sound different? I don't know. Uh, you sound more compact. You sound more, you sound warm, but punchy. Warm, but I'm definitely punchy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe oh. I finally broke in my microphone. Oh, that's it. That's probably it. You broke it in. How long has it been? Oh, I don't know. Three weeks, four weeks. Oh yeah. It's yeah, like headphones. About, you gotta, you gotta break them in. That's how long it takes to break in a mic. Yeah. Is that how long it takes? It's like a baseball glove. You put a ball in it and sleep on it. <laughs> yeah. Have you, have you been, uh, have you been waxing your mic? Mm-hmm. Wax on, wax off. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Then, yeah. How you, how you doing today? You having you yeah. having a cramp? Oh yeah, I started off the day with a little bit of a tummy, uh, a little bit of a tummy cramp. Well, you know, you can you can leave whenever you need to. Oh, I, thanks. I, I know. I mean, I know you know that, but I just I, yeah. I, I, let me put that differently. Um, we could do whatever you need here. Thanks. Well, mm-hmm. you know, what's in the show is in the show. That's true. And my, a lot of people, my, a lot of people probably uh, doubt that. Is. Do you think people doubt that? Like for example, for example, did you hear the streetcar go by? I did. Streetcar's back. Yeah. Oh, well, it was not running for a while. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. June uh, to Saturday, uh, they were doing tunnel work on the West Portal Tunnel. Oh. So we've had bus service for two months. <laughs> oh, that's so much worse. It's so much worse. I have not. You know me, right? You know. You know. I'm a real muni head. I'm always with the muni. Yep. It's one of the myriad reasons I never want to move. Is we're very close to a muni line, and I work near a muni line. Don't be creepy. Yes. Yes, but I haven't ste- I haven't stepped foot on a bus. My daughter refuses to get on the bus. So she's when I, a real snob. When I uh, when I ran for office, I mm-hmm. I uh, one of my platforms, and and perhaps I emphasized it too much, but one of my platforms was uh, transit, pub, you know, public transit and and novel transit, and I wanted to reestablish streetcars where there had formerly been streetcars. Not anything crazy. Just put the streetcars back where they'd been. You can't get the funiculars and, until people get comfortable with the more conventional means of transit. But within the within the um, hyper transit focused and city services focused Seattle uh, liberal community, mm-hmm. there was tremendous derision from some quarters about streetcars because oh. it was it was stipulated over and over that buses could do the same job better and cheaper. And in researching it, you know, what you discover is that the wear and tear on streetcars is much less than the wear and tear both on buses and that buses do to roads and towns. Hmm. Also, you can put the, you know, you can put like five buses worth of people in a streetcar driven by one Person? I bet this is one of those deeply turns out, you know, the the kind of thing like, oh, should we get rid of straws? Well, yeah, we should get rid of straws, except that, don't, don't at me, but except out. there's a big turns out to straws. I'm not going to get into it, but this is, I have a feeling that's definitely a turns out. What is the, what is the turns out? <sighs> I mean, I, I haven't done my own huge amount of due diligence on this and I'm going to cut this out of the show. I won't cut this out of the yep. show. No, no, no. Let's cut it out. I think we will remember the hubbub over straws as a turning point in the discussion about what individual consumers can do to help the environment. Because uh, here's the thing. There's a lot, it turns out. You don't use paper towels, do you? I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Me? Oh, my God. Kill a freaking whale every oh, day, no. why don't you? No, I don't even use cloth. I go and I <laughs> bag old boxes from people and I cut them into small strips and I absorb with those. 
Well, you know, you're just encouraging it, big box. <laughs> Where's the get, hiding behind my dongle? Hiding behind my dongle. Uh, uh, just quickly, well, we should we should return to this because this is an interesting topic. But you know, the, the the story goes that there was that viral video that went around of of the very sad turtle with a straw in its nose. Oh, the sad turtle with a straw in its nose. I la, did la, not la. actually. I didn't actually see it. Yeah, that's the Decemberist <laughs> version. I didn't actually see it, um, and I've never even heard of it. But yeah. just your description of it, sad turtle. I'm I'm putting it in straw. I'm not nose. awake enough yet to totally mount this issue, but it's my understanding that. Do you mean you're not awake enough or not woke? Can I be enough? Can I be deadly honest with you? It's kind of early. It's <laughs> oh, not super it's early, early, but I just did an ad read for this show that you're going to hear in a few minutes, and I I sound so stupid because I'm just really not awake yet. I've been uh, up since six thirty, but I'm still not awake. Uh huh. I I it, I why give of myself unto you? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sending invoices and checking my email and shit. You, you get these, these two right here. I'm pointing at you with the two fingers. You get these two full on these ears, these cans, you get uh-huh. it all. That new freshly waxed mic. My new freshly, um, my stomach cramps. This is too much to go into, but you know, the thing with recycling. Oh, I do. Okay. We don't talk about this cause we're, we're progressives, yes. but there's a lot about recycling. That's a little bit of a jam up. Some, sometimes it uses more energy than it saves. It's really a whole pen and Teller type situation. There's there's a lot going on with recycling where like, yeah, when the markets for all that stuff are really good, there are businesses that are very happy to take your recycling. But there's other times that we good progressives put things in the blue bastic and then that just goes to a different dump with more car rides. Yeah. Um, and we when haven't the, interrogated that for- because it's one of those things where it feels like we're helping. Right. So like uh, we have a very large in San Francisco, you're given a very large recycling bin and a comically small uh, trash bin. Mm-hmm. And we fill our neighbors don't recycle hardly at all. God bless them. We fill both. <laughs> we fill 64 gallons of recycling every week. That's not even including the boxes. So we recycle a lot, but I mainly do it because like I assume it's better than trash. But anyway, so I think we should talk about that at some point. Because, you know, if you ever decide to run again, this is the kind of thing that could really, you could start really laying down your bona fides on this stuff. Well, before I, mean, I move I, on, do you have a thought on this? Well. The recycling jam up. I feel like, I feel like we, we are, it's very easy for us to see how our political opponents are lying. <laughs> um, you know, like yes. you look at it and you go, lie, that's a lie. They're yes. lying and they're big, they're big lying, not just small lying, they're big lying. And they're all you know? lying. They're all lying together as one. They're lying about big, big things and we can see it and we, and we can't believe that our, that the, that the rank and file of our political opponents fall for the lies. But what we, what we don't see is that on our side of the political Componentry. There's this thing that's very common, I think, on the left, which is, look, we cannot afford to give a nuanced answer because it will confuse people. We oh, can't af- 100%. We cannot afford to show the unvarnished truth because our enemies will take what we show them and use it against well, us. Well, if we talk too much about voter fraud, we might end up suppressing turnout ourselves. Right. There's all There's kinds of all, stuff where you're like, if we really go straight to the hard truth of this, like it, it may not have the consequences we expect. 
it's very complicated to be a leftist. Uh-huh. So what you do is you, if you're, if you are talking about homelessness, and I'm not talking about promoting it. If you're mm. just talking about so it, being anti-homelessness, you found the, you find the one person who is a hardworking person who lives in his car with his three kids, and his, you know, his wife just died, and he goes to church. And, you know, you talk about him. You, mm-hmm. you do not just you talk about go the mom pick. who lives with their kid in a car while she still goes to work. She showers right. in, a, in a, you know, gas station bathroom. You don't just go down to a homeless camp and pick the first person you run into. You yeah. know, you find someone who's photogenic and who – and so over time, if you do say, well, you know, there are a lot of people down in the homeless camp that are like on drugs and yeah. committing violence even – the, your leftist friends will say, we can't afford to do that. Shh. Mm-hmm. Like, so, don't talk about that. Like, that just gives aid and comfort to our enemies. Mm-hmm. But over over time, what you get is a kind of, uh, um, you do not get the unvarnished truth. And you're not able to talk about reality after a while because you because we're telling stories. And we do it with recycling. We do it with everything, right? Mm-hmm. But we don't recognize that we're also lying, like lying to ourselves, lying to others, but because, because we're doing it with good intentions, Mm -hmm. we're doing it in order to not, you know, not encourage our enemies to take our words out of context. And it's like, after a while, you, you know, like you create a situation where like you, I mean, where your enemies are like, they're clearly lying <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's, and we don't, and the thing is we're so far into it. We're so deep in it that, that, that offends us. Like we're not lying. We're telling a better truth. We're telling the more truthy truth than just the, your regular dirty truth. It's very difficult. And this is, you know, this is true in the issue that you're talking about. It's like, no, 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 that one turtle in the world ever got a straw up its nose, but that's the story. Not the, because, and, and again, it's it's one of those things also where uh, I really and look, I'm I am anti straw and pro turtle. By the literally way, literally begging people not to contact me about this. I will ban you from listening to the show if you contact me about this. I don't want to discuss this. I don't want an article. I don't want a fact. I just want to talk to my friend John. If you want to listen in, that's fine. But if you if you if you contact me at all about anything we talk about on this episode, I will ban you from listening to the show. I will find your IP address. I will get behind your seven proxies, and you will be banned from listening to the show. You can early. write me, and I'll I'll forward it to me. Matt Howie. Because it's such a, here, it's a very simple thing. We got three cans. We got compost. And I do believe the compost helps. When I roll that thing out to the curb and it's 40, 80, 100 pounds of compost, like it does make a difference and opens up space in the other cans, right? There's a cascade. I do believe that must help. Um, It does. But, you know, there are these kinds of things where, uh, oh, I'm not going to say virtue signaling, but there are things that that we do that are not surpassingly difficult to do. Uh, whether that's your your role in the posting culture or whether that's whether you, you know, put your toilet paper tube into the recycling mm-hmm. where it's not difficult to do, whereas you get to feel good about yourself and you now get to look down on people who don't do it. Um, mm-hmm. But I think mm-hmm. I think that's we should talk part. about this again in the future when I'm more awake. But the straw thing, I think I'm going to go pop up the stack here. We've got the recycling. We've got the straws. What it comes down to is we're going to have to change so much shit at a much higher level. Are you the, saying that the, the that the whole straw issue is a straw man? Mm. <laughs> this episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace. 
You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com slash supertrain. Come on, you guys know Squarespace. You're using Squarespace right now. Roderick on the Line is fully hosted on Squarespace. It is what we use, uh, and we think it's the best. But maybe you're wondering, what can I do with Squarespace? What even can I do? Well, I'll tell you what. You go to Squarespace, you create a beautiful website. A beautiful website. You're going to turn your cool idea into a new site. You can showcase your work. You can blog or publish other content, sell products and services of all kinds right from the site. You can promote your physical or online business. You can even announce an upcoming event or a special project. Squarespace does this by giving you beautiful templates created by world-class designers. They have powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online. The ability to customize the look and feel of your site, the settings, the products, anything you want, just a few clicks. It's really that easy. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. It looks great on every device and or dingus. And right now they have a new way to buy domains. You can choose from over 200 extensions. You know those little names at the end? You got your .com, your .edu, your, your .limo. They got, they, they got the options. 200 extensions. They have analytics that help you grow in real time built-in search engine optimization, free and secure hosting, and there's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And they have 24 by 7 award-winning customer support if you ever need a little bit of help. Uh, As you know, I'm a big fan of Squarespace. I've said it before. You need to get on this Squarespace. I'll tell you a a thing you might like if you enjoy the Roderick on the Line show. You go to merlinm.com slash playlists, one word, and you can find uh, playlists I've made on Spotify uh, for uh, music that we've talked about on the show. Uh, It's a doddle. You just go and you create it. Uh, It's the best. you got to go out and try this. Destiny is calling. It says you need a new website. Make it with Squarespace. That's that's called a copy line. So right now, please, you go, you head out to squarespace.com slash supertrain and you get a free trial and then when you're ready to launch please use the very special offer code supertrain that'll save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain squarespace.com slash supertrain our thanks to squarespace for supporting roderick on the line and all the great shows (laughs) you just rattle your spurs at me Partner, <laughs> uh, but with, I want you to be awake. I want you to be fully awake. I want to be fully awake because that's a very important conversation, and yeah, I just want to really remind people I will ban you. Yeah, um, but that, this gets us back to the to the public uh, transit issue and the turns outs, right? That's oh, I think that's right. where we started. Was the it, it is sometimes and, and and the reason I I saw that pivot in my very tired brain is that there are when you dig beyond the surface issues of the one axis of something that you understand, there's almost always something way more complicated under the surface that's right. not as obvious. And that's where you get into the double, the triple, the quadruple turns out and you get you get to these layers of like, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. And then you go deeper into the systemic level and you see all these huge differences. It might just be that people in Seattle don't want noisy streetcars riding around. Or maybe they, well, they think they're uglier for poor people and can't say it. When you go, when you go, um, <clears throat> when you go into politics, you know, there are a lot of smart people there. And they're they're all and they're all practicing a version of uh, you've got to lie in order to tell the truth. Like you you cannot tell the truth to people uh, because that will that will get you not. Elected. You certainly need to at least avoid the most extreme part of the truth. That oh. while being truthy undermines what it is you're trying to accomplish. No, not even that. You need to bold faced lie every minute <laughs> of right? every day. Well, because the number one lie is. I'm going to address your direct concern when I get to office. Mm-hmm. And every single person somehow who comes up to you and wants to talk passionately to you about their about their uh, like tiny little like obsession, yeah, won't take any answer other than 
I really care about this issue too. And as soon as I get to Washington, I'm going to make this my personal mission. And, and so you're, every you're not allowed to say that's stupid. Every politician says it to every single person all day long, and they don't even roll their eyes at it. They're just like, this is, you know, as soon as I get to Washington, I'm really going to look into this. And the, and the really virtuous ones are like, well, you know, that's a very complicated issue, and uh, I've got people looking into it, and as soon as we get to Washington, we're really going to take a hard look at that. Like, that's the kind of answer that doesn't promise anything. Yeah, they, 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 that already feels a little weaselly. But the world of turns out, it becomes a battle of turns outs. I mean, the the streetcar mm -hmm. one in particular, like turns out over the lifetime of a streetcar system, it you, it's much less expensive than buses. And then the other side will say, turns out ridership declines during rainstorms. And then you're like, well, turns out new, you know, streetcar stops become urban hubs where people, uh, where new buildings go in with coffee shops and, mm -hmm. and like dog grooming services. And then the other side is like, consolidate services in those areas right. in a way that makes a lot of sense. That people, that won't happen around bus routes because people feel buses are well, and, and you won't even see that it's possible if it's never happened before. I can tell you when they, they changed, they did lots of stuff with our streetcar line in the last year. And one of the things they did that pretty much everybody, well, they, they wanted to reduce the number of stops, which I think makes a lot of sense. Because right now it's almost every other street. Too many stops. It's too, it is too many. I mean, I, even accounting for folks with disabilities, I think that you, you definitely need more disability uh, accessible uh, ramps and stuff like that. But every other, if you account for traffic and everything, every other street in our far-flung neighborhood is a little bit crazy. Yeah. But the, the nuttiest one they took out that even <laughs> that I thought was silly was they took out the one right next to Safeway. And people flipped because they're like, wait a minute, like, of all the ones you could take out, like, that's crazy. Like, I actually use that. We all actually use that. And they put it back in because it, I guess it made sense in the plan. But in terms of people's actually, actually like lived experiences, you know, right. that would, that was nuts. They weren't doing the thing where they were like grocery store. And this is, we talked about this on the campaign trail all the time. Like grocery, who, who gets in their car? They get in their car to go to the grocery store and the doctor mm -hmm. and, uh, and to work. Right. So, you put the grocery store and the doctor in their neighborhood because you build little communities again instead of consolidating everything in giant office parks. And then you, you know, you distribute people's work environments the same way if you can. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But on the other hand, uh -huh. you know, and so the, the battle of turns out, it's like I had a fellow city council <laughs> candidate uh, come to me toward the end of the campaign, right before the, right before the, um, primary election, which I lost. He was a younger guy. He was a city council candidate who had an earring. He was, you know, like pretty dynamic, a very, very political guy. He'd been in politics since a, he was a young Democrat in high school or something. So he really, everybody knew him and he felt like he uh, was really kind of in the, in the game. And he, and he was, you know, he was a, he was a fun person to interact with along the road. And I, he, he gave, he gave the impression and still does of someone who's going to have a lifetime in politics, whether he's elected to office or not. But he, we were sitting and talking and he was like, you know, when you join this race and no one had really heard of you in politics, your whole thing about the streetcars was just dumb. Hmm. And I was like, it wasn't dumb. And he was like, it was just dumb. That's not, nobody's going to vote for you because of that. And I was like, well, it doesn't matter whether they vote for me because of it. It needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And 
he and about three other city council candidates were all like, oh, boy. Like, they really did roll their eyes right at me, right in my face. And I was like, well, seriously, though. Because you're you're being impractical or talking about something that's not really an issue? Well, no, because I ever said it doesn't matter whether people vote for me about it or not. Oh, I see, I see. (laughs) But it was, but I was talking about something that was not the issues. It it fell far outside the, the circle of issues of the moment. And, and what I realized is like, there are fashionable issues. And when you're running for office, you need to really, really address the fashionable issues. And you don't, the thing is, it's not that you, that you shouldn't go off into the woods, uh, talking about something that they feel like is resolved. Um, what it's that you don't have to, right. They were all grateful that they didn't have to talk about, about transit because nobody, because that was like fourth down on the list. Mm -hmm. And I'm out there like, Oh, you know what would help? (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. And that was not, that was dumb because what I should have been talking about was how big developers were ruining the lives of, of innocent mothers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, uh, there were, uh, there <laughs> How does this were, uh, impact the wine moms? <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot of hot takes on that and I kind of didn't feel like I needed to add one. And that was, you know, that made me seem like I, I wasn't up You'll on the You'll know issue. more for next time. Yeah, that's right. That's right. When I run for sheriff, sheriff of Twist, sheriff of Twist, the, the first thing I'm going to do is walk in there and say, "What do you guys care about?" <laughs> like dingleberries. I sent you. Uh, I, I get the feeling you haven't watched a lot of Parks and Recreation, which is fine. I sent you a video that's a compilation of one of the great running gags on the show, which is um, Amy Poehler's character Leslie Nope. She loves having these like. Uh, town halls and like where people can come and ask questions and anytime anything comes up like she wants to have a town hall and of course ron swanson the nick offerman character hates this because he doesn't want to know what the people think it's a compilation called citizens of pawnee that features some of the best (laughs) moments and watching this really makes me think about what you went through i'm looking at one of my favorites here (laughs) a woman gets up and says i found a sandwich in one of your parks and i want to know why it didn't have mayonnaise this is the same woman who who deliberately took non-potable water and made sun tea and wants to know why she got sick. <laughs> I mean, you just can't say to people, well, you're mental. You you can't just say that. You can't say, "We're well, let's focus on the real stuff here instead of your bizarre five-year-old grievances. No, you can't. But what's, what's weird is, and I think we've talked about this before, what's weird is that those people, because they make a life out of focusing on local politics, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's this weird self-selection. You would have to be kind of crazy to make local politics your form of not just civic engagement, but entertainment, right? Like, what are we going to do tonight? We could go to the movies or we could go down to uh, like a high school where a bunch of candidates are answering questions. Like, who wants to do that? Well, Mm-hmm. Some people, some people do, and I bet there are people who show up for every one of those things. Oh, for sure they do. Every, they show up for every one of them, and they wear their signature hat that has buttons on it. Huh. <laughs> um, and so you want to think? <laughs> I guess we're going to hear from Lou tonight. <laughs> yeah, well, you, and you hear every night. You hear from them every night. Mm. And as a candidate, when you first arrive on the scene, you're like, well, I mean, these people are the are the kooks. Yeah, but the real voters is who we're trying to get to and what you learn over time is no these kooks actually have a crude power because they get themselves elected to the job of district uh rep, you know like unelected but 
Yeah, elected, I guess, within their group of 25 people who do a straw poll and which one of them is going to be the, you know, the legislative district 43 uh, campaign organizer. Mm -hmm. And then that person decides like where the thing is, who's going to be there, you know, like over over the course of this, like from a very small group, it becomes the Democratic Party. Right. It grows and grows and grows. And whoever shows up for those meetings is going to have an outsized influence. Yeah, they're the party. Right. And they decide where the money goes and they decide. And, you know, as they get more sophisticated, they realize that their little thing about like, why are all my electrical outlets in my house upside down? (laughs) It's like, oh, uh, that's not really a city thing. What do you mean? It's not a city thing. Stop avoiding the question. As they get as they've been in it longer and longer, they know that they, they at least have to suppress that. Uh, I could see that being stuff that everybody could even agree on, like, or most people. Like, most people, like, I, think about the dog poop issue, and I face this in the neighborhood. Dog poop is an issue everywhere. It is. It's an issue very much in our neighborhood. Um, on the one hand, there are very, very, I see this on Nextdoor, you see it everywhere, there are very loud voices saying, look, it starts out as, hey, you know, everybody who has a dog, please pick up after your dog. Everybody says, thank you. And they come in and give claps and they agree. There, claps. There's nobody from, nobody, you're not hearing from the side that says, I just let my dog shit wherever I want and y'all are funny. Uh-huh. You're not going to hear from them. You're not going to, no. there is no lobby for, I'm just going <laughs> to let my dog shit wherever they want. So naturally you're going to hear a lot. Now, is that the issue that we need to focus on to the exclusion of other issues well if it turns out the five people come to every meeting and talk about it i guess that's how it works right right that that it becomes an issue yeah well it uh it becomes an issue but also also other people bring other issues and and pretty soon you're in a like i I've, i've told you i told you about when i went to the political meetings that were up in the the northeast part of Seattle and many many people came over and said that the biggest issue t- for them was that the city of Seattle prom- promised them sidewalks they didn't have sidewalks in their neighborhood when their city was annexed to Seattle I'm talking about Lake City Washington when it was annexed to Seattle in 1952 oh my goodness par- part of the annexation uh agreement was that they would lose their autonomy, become part of Seattle, but in return, they would get city services and sidewalks would get put in. This is a Korean War era uh, agreement that still has not been fulfilled. Right. Oh, you know they're good and mad about that. There are some some sidewalks up there, but Mm -hmm. it's a very difficult neighborhood to sidewalk. Basically, there are a lot of steep hills. And there are a lot of people who feel... um, a, a, a lot of resentment and because over time, you know, every time they look out their window and they see somebody struggling up the hill with a grocery bag, they put that down in their spiral bound notebook of, of people inconvenienced by lack of sidewalk. And every time a kid falls down and every time a, you know, every time a dog gets hit by a car, it's further, you know, that's another crime that the city of Seattle has created by virtue of not, fulfilling their promise to put these sidewalks in. It's not it's an incident no, that would not have happened if they had just made good on their 60-year-old deal. Right. If there were sidewalks in Lake City, there would be no dogs ever killed by cars. And although that's not true, there has not been a dog killed by a car. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There hasn't been a dog killed by a car that wasn't a result of a lack of sidewalks. And so when you talk to people there, it's 
they're not crazy. They understand it's a, it's a relatively small thing. But what, what they want you to understand is the trail of tears, the fucking carnage that has resulted. And, you know, and what a simple ask it is. It's not even an ask. They were promised. Mm-hmm. And so you look at them and you go, hey, I'm just the latest guy to run for city council. And I'll tell you about what little I know about the budget is that there is not $250 million to put sidewalks in Lake City. There's not even a mm-hmm. million dollars to do to fund a study about how there's no chance of getting a sidewalk. So, but, but I mean, you can't. There's no, there's no, an, there's no answer you can give to that. That's not going to be at least very disappointing, if not offensive to them. And and the dog poop thing is like the solution is to have a cop on every street corner with a fire hose, an active fire hose, and <laughs> and give him discretion to hit anybody he wants with it. <laughs> and and but then tell him only to hit dog dogs that are pooping on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right. I mean, I don't know another solution other than to like. I mean, because the because the the people who are doing it, like like when I talked to the guys across the street about the barking dogs, mm-hmm. I got the age old. I mean, right away, the first words out of their mouths were like, "Well, that's what dogs do. That's just what dogs do." Yeah, they bark all night. You're, you're coming at it from very different points of view. And the and you know the dog poop people are like that's what dogs do they poop I mean everybody poops it's right mm-hmm. there in the it's book, in the book. Mm-hmm. and that you know the next leap whatever that leap is uh, every every town hall in the world can't hold someone's hand and walk them through whatever the logical steps are to get to the next the next place which is like well what if every dog pooped on the sidewalk we just it'd be Paris. We'd be walking through knee-deep poop. Terrace. And then, and then that person's going to be like, nah. Nah, man. And you're like, well, uh, I mean, I don't. what if I pooped on the sidewalk? Oh, don't do that. I mean, you just can't. There's no, you can't walk them anywhere. They're just, they are where they are. And what do you, what, 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 I mean, if you could speak to them, if you could speak to them honestly or practically, like, what would you tell them? Well, you can. You can speak to them honestly. Do you, you just say it's not going to happen? It, it can't. Right now, it can't happen. Your time. Uh, who am I talking to now? The people who are mad about the poop, or the people who are letting their dogs poop? Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess I, it just seems like there, there, there's a lot to be said for Bill Clintoning your way through things and making everybody feel like the most special person in the world and having them feel heard. But like in terms of like real life. You you know you kind of want to be able to take them aside and say, look, I hate to tell you, but like right now, there's less than no plan for this. There's the opposite of a plan for this, and we don't really have any way to change it. Like ninety nine percent of the problem of civilization is that half of the people think that the the architecture of civilization is oppressive. There's there are too many rules. Mm-hmm. The the jackbooted feds are waiting to take your land and take your guns and take your cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what they don't see is all the daily shit that government does for them. They take it for granted. They think that the water just comes out of the pipe because it's because of God. Or and it's, they mostly think that not, it's mostly not deadly. Mostly not deadly. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's that great streetcar. It's so I'm sorry. I just I missed it so much. Oh. But they also think like... <laughs> I chose poorly. <laughs> 
like when they when they go down and file a claim, you know, their property lines, they are very into those lines. They don't want to have to they, they don't think about the fact that like they don't have to be out there defending their property line against their neighbor every day. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the government enforces that property line. And if they had a problem, if somebody was like, I'm building a shed over onto your property, they mm-hmm. would go immediately to whatever government agency it is that that. And that, there's an apparatus uh, in place for dealing with that at something absolutely. like scale. Absolutely. But those but the people that are against the government and zoning and property rights in general, they just don't reflect enough to see that they're benefiting from that system. They're benefiting from every single system and they just don't add, they don't add their benefit into their calculation of how much it costs them to be ruled over by this government. Mm -hmm. But the other side, the other problem is all the people that think that government is magic and that oh sure 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 if you if the government why don't be you just wave something. why don't you just wave the magic wand i know you've got it right just just do something mm-hmm. and it's like and what they don't understand is the problem of enforcement you can make as many laws as you want but if you if the people don't you know that like the property line thing there's no army of um of zoning cops who walk around every day, like with a baton walking around, you know, brushing people's kids back over their property line into their yard and saying like, we're enforcing this, you know, because the community itself enforces its own understanding, right? That's why we build fences. That's why mm-hmm. we, um, but, but so many things, and this is a big thing with like real estate development. People say, well, why don't they protect the beautiful old Victorian houses from getting torn down? And it's like, well, because you have to, like you were saying before, you have to go so far upstream. Like, do you prohibit people from buying property unless they can prove they're going to do something that you approve of with that property? Do you zone Every Victorian, do you have, do you hire like a team of 600 Cause that's going to bring out the other side. That's going to bring out the, the Ayn Randian, like get out of my yard people. Oh, well not just that. Who, who decides? Yeah. Right. You would have to, you would have to hire what, how many, how many college students would it take to walk around and catalog every single beautiful home in San Francisco? But then they can't just be college students. They have to know the difference between a shitty home that's been painted pink and a beautiful home that is, that's fallen into disrepair and looks like shit. And then they would have to be able to tell, you know, they would, they would be half, they would have to be making pretty sophisticated calls about every single house on the block. And you know, you look across the street at that house every day, you know what it is, Mm -hmm. but uh, somebody coming along with a clipboard that's just doing a survey, they're like, ah, oh, yeah, the house is kind of not, it's dirty and it's covered with siding. Well, in you San know. Francisco, that's the last thing you want is somebody saying your house is historic. Right. That changes everything. Like suddenly it gets way harder to do practically anything with it. Right. But when it's, they it's tear been the- used as a, it's been used by people against people as a punitive thing and say it's one way to basically screw with your political enemies is to have their private property declared important. 
I think it's genius. It's it's incredible. There's yeah, I won't go into it, but there's a dust up in our neighborhood that happened a while back where there's this long standing, you know, um feud between this guy and this this woman in some level of government. And yeah. She totally had it like in the middle of a remodel had his house declared important. So good. I mean it's so diabolical. It's <laughs> She's the worst. <laughs> but you know, there are a billion of those and one of them is like I mean Dog pooping on sidewalk is a thing that should be community enforced. Like we just know not to do that. But then every once in a while somebody gets away with it and then somebody walks down the street. I mean, one of the, one of the things the guys across the street from me said about, about eight or nine years ago, there was a dog up the street that barked all day. The, uh, the people that owned him would put him out in the morning and they would go to work. Ugh. And the dino was a big poodle. So they don't hear it. They don't. They, they don't know. They come about home it. and they they hear their dog greeting them. Yeah, right. right? You follow me? Yeah. You know, I had this with little Linus when we lived downstairs all day long. Yeah, that's ah, right. It's ah, 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 ah. like, oh, Linus is glad to see me. No, no, dude, Linus has been doing that since you left. <laughs> yeah. Believe me, I know. It was six feet from my ears. <laughs> and this dog was the same, but it was a big poodle. It had a big bark, <laughs> and it sat out there and barked all day, uh, all day. <laughs> And so the so I went over there one time with a letter, and I walked up to the fence, and here's this dog just barking like crazy. And as I got closer, you could see that the dog's tail was wagging, and it had a big friendly look on its face. And so I tentatively kind of put my hand over the fence, and the dog was just like, oh, my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh. Thank you, thank you for any kind of contact or anything to do or think about. And so he's licking my hand, wagging his tail, just, just like, a, like, a, like an excited seal. And so I went inside the gate and I walked up. I put the letter because it's two o'clock in the afternoon. I put the letter in their mailbox and the letter said, your dog barks all day, FYI. And anybody who isn't anybody who's in their house all day, it just it just echoes it's in, in the neighborhood. And um, I, there's got to be something else you can do. And then a couple of weeks went by and the dog was still out there. And so I wrote another letter and I went over in the middle of the day and I put it in their mailbox and it, or I put it in their mail slot, and it said, "You know, I talked. I asked you to uh, to think about this, and and uh, and the dog is still barking every day. And I would just like to point out that it is not very neighborly, um, because you may not hear it, but um, but I work from home, and it's exasperating. I mean, it's really starting to drive me crazy. And the I guess the third time I wrote a letter to them." where I was getting more exasperated, and I think you can imagine what an exasperated letter from me sounds like. Mm -hmm. Their dog, they solved the problem. Now, I don't know whether they locked the dog in the basement all day and the dog has become a... <laughs> it's gone feral. ...like <laughs> raving lunatic, but the dog doesn't bark all day anymore. And, you know, and I'm not like my sister who thinks on behalf of the dog. Um, I the When the dog stopped barking all day, my mind went back to... a to a peaceful state of rest mm -hmm. and however, whatever accommodations that that family had to make in order that that not happen, I don't care. That's their responsibility. We all make, I mean, I have to, I have to resist the impulse to put on a sword every time I walk out the door. Yeah. And I do resist that impulse because of neighborliness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when the, uh, when the family across the street bought the two giant necked pit bulls and chained them in a shipping container or like a, eight by eight shipping container across the street for them to bark all night. It, I swear to you, empowered the people with the pit, or the, the poodle. 
oh. to start leaving their dog out. So well, all they're, they're going to do it. Yeah. So all of a sudden I'm hearing barking from a couple of locations. And, it happened, and now, you're in a, now you're in a barking dog neighborhood. That's right. And it's, it wasn't a coincidence, right? The poodle came back. This is eight years later. Mm-hmm. The poodle has the poodle was probably three then, and it's fucking eleven now. Like the poodle has lived its life in somewhere else, and now it's back. And when I was talking to the family with the pit bulls, the second thing they said was, "Well, we're not the only ones. There's that dog up at the corner. Mm-hmm. Like this, and that was evidence of like this is just what dogs do. And it was impossible for me to say like, well, they." And I tried. I said, like, well, that dog didn't used to be there, but now it's there apply again. That, apply that to a dozen other things. And it's like, in that case, it's because you have this real soft spot for your doggy. But, like, apply that to a million other things. Well, they throw their trash in the street. Well, yeah, but that's the, if you, it would, would you jump off a bridge if they did argument? Which, like, I don't know. People don't hear. But, but it would, all of this relies on them having us having been raised differently, basically. Yeah. But, but the, the, the problem of uh, the problem of the way that, um, that liberals interact with government is that they do think it's magic. Uh, they do think that government can solve all these problems. And when I looked into what it would take to call the cops or the animal control on the people across the street, I realized, Oh, you know what? Like, Government isn't set up to do this. They have a lot of stuff on their website about what their process is, mm-hmm. about filing this kind of complaint. But as you read it, you realize they have to think about this from 20 different ways. This, like, is, a, this is a very next door problem. Uh, you've heard me. Do you know what next door is? You've told me about it. And the only times I've ever heard next door referred to by you or anyone else, it's always like. Uh, I saw that, a black. That next door is very, very problematic. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty problematic. <laughs> but the reason I say here, just to jump in real quick, is that yeah, that that's that's a big thing. Well, right now the hot topics are a guy up in the forties in the forty forties avenues uh, who revs his motorcycle, and everybody's mad about that, understandably. <laughs> lots of lots of package theft. Oh, yeah, that, um, oh, that is a big one now. Yeah, classic, package theft. The, the classic one that's a running bit on Dubai Friday that still comes up all the time is that you take a photo of somebody in a green vest with a clipboard and say, this person says they're from Pacific Gas and Electric. I called PG&E, and the famous quote, they said no one was supposed to be in the area. I have yeah. reported this to the police. But no, in that case, you're right. I mean, there they, there's this prevailing feeling, at least amongst the people who post the posts and comment on the posts, there's this prevailing feeling that there is something that can and should be done about all of these things that's trivially easy for somebody to do if they would just do your job, sir. Do your job, sir. If you fall, if you ran down every one of these leads, <laughs> the, the leads. Yeah, we got two guys working on it around the clock. The leads. You think you'll find my briefcase? Follow the leads. Yeah. The Glen Gary leads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like Big Lebowski when they, when they when when his car gets stolen. He's like, you got any leads? He's got leads. Yeah, leads. We got two guys working on it around the clock. <laughs> it's seriously though. It's like oh, the package thief thing. That sucks. It sucks. Yeah. I would hate that. I would hate that. But like there is. But wait, are there really package thieves? There are. It well, you know, yeah, I, I do believe there are, and I do believe it is a thing. And I do believe that San Francisco has gone off the fucking charts on car break-ins. This is all true. Yeah. Can I can I mention one thing also in passing? And I, I don't want to go too deep on this, but I feel like there, I just sent you a link to an article. 
Everybody's having a real good laugh at San Francisco, understandably right now. This is a headline from Business Insider from August 24th. People are being paid more than $70,000 a year to clean poop off the streets of San Francisco. Uh, it's reported I, that uh, I these people are being underpaid. Well, and according to Payscale, the, the average salary is 85. And then with benefits, this could be a three for. So, hilarious San Francisco story. Can you even believe they've gotten to the point now? where this dingling city can't get people to stop pooping on the streets. So they have to hire people. Shit, my boss makes more makes makes that much money. I, right. I should move to San Francisco and clean up poop. Do, 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 do. Right. And you get into so many goddamn turns out. Okay, smart guy, how do we fix that problem? Well, do you think people poop on the streets because they're super into pooping on the streets? They don't. They don't poop because they don't have a bathroom. Why don't they have a bathroom? Well, let's start splitting these hairs starting right here. Well, on the one hand, Starbucks is not in the business of being a public restroom and shower. Like that's <laughs> true. It's hard. These, the, there is not a sustainable amount of public restrooms for the people who need to poop. They go to the park, they do whatever. And then, so what do you do? You keep pushing through. You go, okay, well, that's because they don't have a bathroom. They don't have a bathroom because they don't have a place to live. They don't have a place to live because they've been priced out of the market. But, you know, at any one of those points, especially on this one issue, it could branch off in two or three other directions. A lot of it does eventually end up back at income inequality and an unaffordable town that's run by tech companies. But at any point along the way, the way that you choose to frame at, at any level of that problem, the way that you choose to frame the problem, talk about what the solutions are, you, you're, it's, it's just pissing in the ocean, you yeah. know? So yeah, it's terrible that we have to do that. And it's, it's hilarious when your friends pass around the maps of San Francisco where the poop has been counted. It's really like a serious big problem here, but there is not a magic wand for that. Otherwise it would already be done. If there was an easy way to, and I know there are, there are ways to make that better. A lot of people say just, you know, turns out one of the great turns outs is that it has been learned that you spend less money on homelessness and homeless people by giving them a fucking free place to live. Nobody wants to do that. That's not in the budget again. But I just feel like when you get to any of this stuff, you like, you assume all of this stupidity and bad faith of everybody who doesn't see it the way that you do. Maybe I do that too. I'm certain that I probably do that on probably lots of stuff. But it's like, you know, who wants to be the one to show up at the meeting and go, uh, based on the budget we've got, this is simply a problem that we cannot, it's a problem we can't solve. And it's a problem we can barely afford to even talk about. And well, that, that, that sucks. And that this is something where like, we are going to need something much bigger than hiring a few people to pick up poop to solve the actual problem behind this problem. That's, it turns out that's going to require something much deeper. It is deeply embarrassing that our city has still not figured out a way to address this problem, but well, all the stuff they the, tried hasn't worked. This is the, this is the government is magic problem. I think which so. Which is a lot of those issues are not necessarily even under anybody's original definition of what government did. Um, and so you, you and, fight wars, you build highways. Well, you don't even fight wars. You just keep a, you just allow people to keep muskets in their closet. Uh, okay. and you know, and then, more, then, more like strictly libertarian. Well, no, I mean like what, what do you want? What do you want a government to do? Right. I mean, what, first of all, what can a government do? And then what do you want it to do? And like, First of all, we all know anybody who is older than 28 knows that San Francisco always had poop on the streets a long time before tech was even a thing. Mm -hmm. 1986, 
the mission below. Or go to well, South South of Market before it became I mean, the Moscone Center and all of that. I mean, that was a pretty dangerous place to go 20 years ago. Well, it was a dangerous place to go just from the standpoint of stepping in human poop until mm-hmm. until now. I mean, but it always was like that. In 1986, when I first was there, I was like, oh, my God, it's uh, like Escape from New York just on the other side of the street. It, um, it, it has been the case for the, this is, I think, one consistency, and this is not a, a proud thing, but you know, there's one nexus of activity um, where a lot happens, especially involving local people and tourists. So if you take something like, uh, not Market and Fifth, but like Market, but like basically where the cable car turnaround is, right? right? So you're in between two stations. You're kind of between. You're right next to Powell Street Station, and everybody's there. And you're a few, yeah, you're a few blocks away from Civic Center Station. And there's people from all over the world who have come to San Francisco because it's such a great place. And they're at the cable car turnaround. There's also, like I say, Powell Street Station is right below there. You walk literally one to three really really basically as soon as you start walking west of there within a block your mind's going to be blown you go two blocks away you start getting closer to civic center station and it's it is like i like i say it is like a godspeed you black emperor song like it is fucked up and this there are people camping on the grass outside city hall and it's real dark and that has been the case for a real long time this is not a new thing well, because San Francisco was one of the pioneer cities of what you think of as kind of libertarian liberalism, hmm. which is oh we, yeah, sure we're not gonna we're not gonna pay for a bunch of cops to break people's heads. We're not gonna move uh, panhandlers along because we're compassionate. We're a compassionate city, and we're not gonna be draconian in terms of enforcement of sort of the, like civic law, right? Yeah. In, in the early or in the mid '90s, there was a city attorney here in Seattle that passed a law prohibiting sitting on the sidewalk. Yeah, we had that. And you know, this was a this was a movement, a, a civic attempt to deal with what was seen as this epidemic of people sitting on the sidewalk. Now, the people that were against it were like, "You can't outlaw sitting." Well, they're blocking the road and they're causing a public nuisance and it's a health issue. You know, they were because they can't two, say what they're really trying to target with that. Well, and what they're what they're saying is they're I mean, again, it's an enforcement thing. What they're doing is empowering police officers to make like ad hoc decisions mm-hmm. as they're walking down the street because the cops they can, aren't they just, can kind of keep that in their pocket, like like yeah. like trespassing. Or a, like a standing violation in a no standing area. It's something you can keep in your pocket if you need to make somebody move along. Yeah, if two people in in pinstripe suits suits are sitting on the sidewalk counting hundred dollar bills, the cops are not going to say like it's against the law. And if you happen to be standing there with a cup uh, that says you know please help, they're not going to they're <laughs> not going to walk. It says xxx. <laughs> You know, they're not going to tip their hat at you and say, good day, thank you for not sitting. Like, they're going to move you along with right, that law, right? right, right? right. Um, but San Francisco was was a city that made a real point about being compassionate. Yeah. Well, there's, and, there's, a, there's a bit of conventional wisdom here that I don't know if this is historically true, but the, the conventional wisdom on this is that, yeah, like any metropolitan-ish city – the there's always been a there's just a problem with with poverty and there's a problem with drug abuse there's a problem with all kinds of things but the conventional wisdom is that uh when uh, our former governor was president uh in the early 80s uh the story is that a lot of people were basically pushed out of mental health facilities that used to be 
in the, in the state of California. This might not even happen when he was governor, but supposedly the point is that the story goes that Reagan cleaned all, cleaned, to save money, like cleaned everybody out of these institutions where people were getting some kind of de minimis amount of care for mental health issues. So that happened. But then the other thing that happened is, okay, so where are you going to go? And the climate of the city, plus what you just described in terms of the attitude of the city, kind of made it a destination for people. Well, there are people that will come from other areas. I'm not saying this is good, bad, or indifferent, but it's true to this day that certainly people from the East Bay might come here. Maybe even people from LA might come here, but they come here because, you know, this is, this is the place where you can kind of land and you're not going to get super hassled. But in, in the conventional wisdom, that's where people say it really became a problem. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what people say. Well, you know, it's one of those that's what people say uh, things. And I've actually had some interesting conversations. Are you going to give me a turns out? And I've had some interesting conversations. Oh, bring it, it on. Turns, the battle of turns outs. It, it turns, turns out. Turns out. The battle of turns outs was that... Um, and and I and I heard this I think from Roderick on the line listener was that uh, the United States had been kind of um, more or less like I guess what you would describe as emptying the insi- the asylums um, for decades that that had been a project that began back in the early sixties late fifties and during that whole period you know, they were sort of de- they were taking away that aspect of like involuntary incarceration, mm-hmm. those big, those big infirmaries, I guess, where people were, uh, what we called insane, insane asylums, the, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, the nurse ratchet style of, of <laughs> uh, uh, and we'd been, we'd been shutting those down and had not seen at, through that whole period, any increase in st- in homelessness or street crime or whatever. It was during the Reagan administration, yes, but it was the defunding of the housing and urban, urban development uh, department, right? The, the Reagan took all this money away from HUD, which was, an or, which was the organization that was, that was providing sort of rent assistance and public housing. And, you know, it was the organizing organization that and 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 HUD was was an in, invention of the 20th century as well but you know HUD had HUD came in and took the place of what had probably been this incredible uh like constellation of catholic human services and you know local local this and local that HUD consolidated it and then Reagan that we came to depend on it then Reagan defunded it and so at that point, all of a sudden, there were all these, uh, there, all these services went away all at once. And it wasn't really the asylums, because I've said that for years, too. Oh, That's one of those like, oh, and, you know, as soon as they shut down the, the asylums, the whole world went sideways. I, I accept and incorporate your turns out. That's a good turns yeah. out. Yeah. But it was, really, it was really HUD. And since that time, there's been no, I mean, no politician has successfully re- well, Ben, ben Carson's going to going to bring it back, I think. I think you're right. I think you're right. He's got his fucking finger on the pulse. He knows he's of, got the, he's got the HUD magic wand. He's ready to he roll. Does. He does. I 
I, I came away from running for office realizing a lot more. One of the, I think, the most profound lessons I learned was what the limitations of government are. Because I was absolutely a person. Like the practical that, limitations? Absolutely. The practical limitations. And, and it often, often, often comes down to how do you enforce that? I'm not, ju- I'm not just talking about like going and knocking on the door and saying you cannot do this. Yeah. You, this, you this, can- is, this is my, you're getting at my favorite question to ask when anybody has a big idea, which is, and then what happens? Yeah, right. And nobody, people, people don't want to go two or three and then what happens into their cockamamie idea. Okay. No, they don't. And then what happens? <laughs> they don't even want to go to, to what happens. And as I was reading this website on like what to do if your neighbor has a dog that barks all night. Right. At each sentence, which they are trying to put out there to answer all these next door people of like, well, first, we'd like you to document every incident in a, you know, like in a journal <laughs> yeah. that you're keeping about your hatred for your neighbors. And I read that and I'm like, oh, this is step one. First, which is, you need to more hyper attenuate to what it is that's hanging you up. Well, and also from their standpoint, they're saying, let's give them some difficult busy work and maybe like 10% of the people will realize that that's too much work for them. And they'll just, they'll resign themselves to the dog because they don't want to keep a journal. And then the next thing is after you've kept a journal for 60 days, um, right. At, at any point of which you might just give up and not you bother might just them give anymore. Up. Yeah. Right. Then write, um, a letter to your neighbor uh, explaining what you, and oh, and also it says it's always better to go talk to your neighbor in person rather than write them a letter. So right there, 30% of the people are like, I'm not going to go over there and talk to them. So that 30%, anyway, you go down this list of, of what the city's asking you to do to make this complaint. And every step of the way is an attempt to get you to be resigned to the problem, right? It's just like, Oh, I don't want to keep a journal, go talk to the neighbor, write a letter, submit a complaint, wait 30 days. Mm -hmm. If they haven't replied to the complaint after 30 days, send another complaint and then wait another 30 days. (laughs) Like, I don't want to do all that. Mm -hmm. And so fuck it. I'll just deal with it. And that's exactly what they're trying to get you to do. Yeah. Yeah. Because the end result of all of it is that two, two people from the city knock on the door of the neighbors and say, we've had a complaint about your dog. And the person in the house says, well, that's just what dogs do. And the cops go, yeah, we know, but there's been a complaint and you have 90 days to rectify the situation or we'll come back out and have this conversation again. Mm-hmm. And it's like there. And those people, can you imagine their job? But they're not they going to assign. The they're not going to assign two of their crackerjack agents to basically just camp out and make sure it's taken care of. No, and they're not. They're not going <laughs> to. They're not sitting there reading your next door. They're not going to come with two crack agents and park across the street from this place at three in the morning to make sure that the dog is barking. Like the whole thing is based around the idea where the city knows the city itself knows we just can't deal with this. It's just too. There's just too many of these because there's the guy on the other side of town that's running a generator all night. And these guys have a, have a, have loud music playing. And this guy's got no soup. 
And this guy's over here. And but then also, um, you you also then get into the situation where they say, okay, let's say we really need to do a Rudy Giuliani here, and we're really going to collapse on one, two, three aspects of these quality of life uh, right. problems. Well, then what do you get? I mean, if they do collapse on that, now you are going to hear from the folks who are like, you've got to be kidding me. Don't you have more important things to do? Don't you have a murder to solve rather than being dog cops? Right. um, In your kid's school, if you can say, are you familiar with something called restorative practices? Do you have that in your school? I'm not sure. I've never heard of it. It's kind of a big thing. It's a big thing right now. You can Google it. Um, I mean, the, the short version is it's, well, here, let me read you what it says on the Internet Science page. Uh, the social science of restorative practices offers a common thread to tie together theory, research, and practice in diverse fields such as education, counseling, criminal justice, DLD, uh, developing models and methodology, performing empirical research. Duh, duh, duh. Uh, they're not really explaining this very well. So, like, if a kid, if kids get into a fight or, or screaming at each other at school, there's this whole, a big part of the praxis at our kids' school is they are very much a restorative practices school where you, like, take, you take them aside and you talk about what happened. And you talk about it's it's this whole process they go through that they're very into and it, and it mostly makes a giant amount of sense. It's a great mm-hmm. way to like get the heat out of the situation and talk about like what happened, who's aggrieved, what we're going to do about it. And but the reason I mentioned it here is first of all I think it's an interesting idea, um, but also it ultimately is to minimize the amount of arbitrary discipline and frontier justice that has to happen to fix things. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, it, and it works okay a lot of the time, especially with the younger kids. With the younger kids who do have a more innate sense of justice than a lot of us realize, well, they, they they'll sure at do. least feel bad about it and they might apologize. But then, you know, a friend of ours's kid got essentially, I don't say jumped, but he got punched at school. And get, yeah. so you know what you do, you go into restorative practices. Oh, yeah. And, and my wife was telling me about this and I'm like, oh, man, like, I... I get that. And I think that's good. But like, what if that kid's just a fucking bully? (laughs) And like the poor kids who get punched by this asshole have got to sit down in little plastic chairs and look into each other's eyes and talk about their feelings. And it's like, but she's like, no, that's the point of restorative practices also is like that kid's probably bull. He's a bully because he's getting bullied. And there is though that some part of me that's like, I do want the frontier justice. (laughs) I do. I want that kid harmed for being a bully. And I know that's the wrong attitude, but I think this also goes for government with what you're describing, which is they, they need you to go and try to work this out because they do not have a team of paratroopers that are going to come in and solve it for you. They have capacity of scale to deal with a certain amount of paperwork that they can pass on to other people, but they do not have a dedicated dog force. Well, and, and, and it's to the, it's to your, or it's to the question of what do you want, what do you want a city to do or what do you want government to do? Mm-hmm. And, and keeps coming back what, to that, doesn't it? What restorative practice is, is, you know, this is, this is a glimpse inside kind of the liberal worldview, which is that we're trying to make the world a better place. And restorative practice is not just something, uh, designed around, the the simple aspect of like teaching kids problem solving it's it's much bigger it's a it's an idea that the schools have that they are creating a, a society right that we're we are creating kids not just to solve their problem in the middle trying to, uh, trying to make be- better kids that can solve problems better kids that can make a better world yeah sure and so the vision of a better world 
then is the is the second and third question. Well, what's your vision of a better world? Well, <laughs> then what better, happens? <laughs> right. And then what happens? Well, the better world that we're trying to promote is one where there's no discrimination, where there's equal opportunity for everyone, where um, there are. But, you know, at a certain point, you get into a world where you're asking and you're asking and then what happens and you very quickly get into a place where in order to make the world better, which and better by our definition, we're going to have to prohibit some behaviors. And that prohibition of behavior, the list of behaviors that is prohibited now in order to create a world where everyone is free, that list of behaviors starts to get longer and longer. Well, mm -hmm. we have to prohibit this. We have to prohibit that. And in a certain, at a certain point, we have to start prohibiting uh, families of behaviors, or we have to start prohibiting, in a way, prohibiting schools of thought, because schools of thought lead to certain families of behaviors. Yeah, you're going to have to start monitoring frames of mind. Frames of mind, right. And now we're monitoring how families interact, how families uh, the frames of minds of whole families and communities. Yeah. And, and so, so now you have a, now you have people at the school, at the, at the school district. They're not maybe necessarily at each school, but up at the school district, you have people whose job it is to start, you know, it becomes very theoretical at that point. Well, it has to, it has to become more and more abstract. And the more abstract it becomes, the more things are going to get caught in the net if you enforce it. Right. And if you're looking at problems that adults are having in the world and then theorizing about the, the cause of those problems, the source of those problems, and then theorizing about what you could do to children in order to change the behavior of some imaginary future generation that you don't want to have have these problems, there's a, a whole chain, a whole intestinal system of theories that you're progressing through that each time you have a theory and then you move on to the next step, what you're doing is you're that the theory that you had is gradually calcifying into what you imagine is a fact. So you're looking at behaviors and hmm. adults and you're saying, I bet you that's because they didn't have enough vitamin C. <laughs> well, we need to get more vitamin C in the schools. And as you turn your focus to getting more vitamin C's in the schools, you forget that your original Theory was just a theory. You don't know if that's true. You don't know if it's vitamin C or not. That was just an idea you had one day. Hmm. It might be vitamin D. But you you had that theory and then you pivot to how do we get vitamin C into our schools to solve this problem? And so behind you now, there's a theory that's turned to a fact. Well, then you say, well, let's talk to these people about putting vitamin C in their toothpaste. And now, like, you're now the last, your last supposition or your last theory now also is a fact. And pretty soon you're all the way up to some public meeting where you're screaming in someone's face. You're trying to keep vitamin C out of our kids and you're, that's going to create world war. Mm -hmm. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't, I mean, we're, I'm still all the way back at what does vitamin C have to do with it? Yeah. And that's, what's so crazy about, about the, about I'm not restorative justice sounds amazing. But when you, when you scratch the surface of like its intent, its intention isn't just like, let's get, 
let's get Bobby and Billy to solve this, like whose ball it is problem on their own. And it's way more about a whole universe of like, how do we, how do we get people to vote for a president that doesn't like actively want war? You know, Mm -hmm. like it's, there is a kind of civilization building that's been happening coming out of the universities, I think. Yeah. And, or, I mean, you're also also talking about straws in some ways. Like you've, we've glommed onto this thing because we saw the turtle video. Yeah. Again, it's very important you not contact me about this. This is the biggest issue of our day. Well, also, but that, and then then also now that's, now we've got, we've got an emotional hook into us. And now that that's our framing for this problem is that we, we tut tut our neighbors about whether they put the green bottles in with the clear bottles. And it's like, yeah, but what about Bitcoin mining? <laughs> what about <laughs> all this other stuff that is so much more consequential in some ways? Well, the garbage trucks go into those big facilities through four separate doors that are different colors. And then when you go on the other side, it's just like the Beatles apartment in help. <laughs> 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 Eleanor Dump Bronze lost, watching <laughs> watching Ringo not play the drums. <laughs> they just all dump their garbage into the same sunken living room. Can I can I tell you one of my? Uh, let's do a number round. Uh, I, I want to show you one of my favorite numbers that I discovered this summer. Click on this the one. Feels like a, this feels like a Sesame Street episode. Well, that's it. Could be. Could be. Could be. Could be Slate Money. Could be Sesame Mer- Street. Mer- Merlin's fa- favorite numbers. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, is, this, could, is your is your favorite number the number of monies you would have if you had invested in Bitcoin in two thousand and three? I don't know. I have, think on, I have to think on that. I'll pray on that. I mean, I'm a thirty seven man. I usually pick thirty seven, which is oh. the number most people pick. What? Thirty seven is is the the random number between one and one hundred most people pick. What? It feels the most random. Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so if you ever gonna, want to scam me, that, that's a like, good thing. Pick a know. number between one and a hundred. Thirty-seven, and then I'll already have thirty-seven written on a card, and I'll um, say, "Is this your number?" Nah, click on Muni Metro. That link. Okay, Muni Metro. So and the streetcar line in modern times has had three different types of streetcars. When I first moved here, it was these. Uh, let me pull this up. When I first moved here, it was those those these Boeings. It was the orange the and white calls. ones. Yeah, you might have seen. Um, and, uh, they transitioned into the, the very heavy Brita, the Italian streetcars that you hear clamoring by very loudly. Uh, as of the last year or so, they've introduced this new car from Siemens that's very updated, very modern. I, I you know, I love a table like this, the rolling stock comparison. What a I great see. title for a table. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let me point your attention. So you can see they're all, they're all very interesting. You can see, look at weight. For example, yeah, you see yeah. that the reason they're so loud and so thunderous is you can see how uh, from the Boeing was 67,000 pounds, the Brita 79,000, the Siemens is a little lighter. Let me turn your attention to that final row. Yeah, Look at distance between failures. The cars that ran from 79 to 02 had a failure on average every 2,000 miles. Not, not great. No. The Brita... And I, this has not been borne out locally yet because these are still new cars. So the original cars, those orange ones where you used to be able to go sit on the steps, they were really cool. Um, they would have a failure every 2,000 miles. The Britas, the Italian ones that we have mostly here now, had a failure every 5,500 miles. Oh, more please, than twice as good. Yep, yep. Please tell our listeners what the distance between failures is for the new ones. 59,000 miles. 
can that ten be true? Times. Ten more than ten times fewer failures on average. I know I'm not a statistics guy. Isn't that a mind blowing figure when you look at the previous two? It is. I mean, you cannot because they've only been in service since 2017. You cannot exactly and say that. You can't, you can't localize it to here. Who knows what that's going to be locally? But even if it's <laughs> even if right. it's even if it's a tenth of that, it's better. It's and incredible. This is, this is the kind of te- turns out. Yes. That this is what I was s- trying to say earlier with the transit stuff. When people go, "Ooh, I don't want streetcars," it's like, well, they're getting better. <laughs> they. I mean, it's not just that. Like, if you if if you took a look at this table, and I bet you there is one, a table that compares the Siemens to the latest buses mm-hmm. for the same. Oh God, it, forget about it. Um, well, think about all the many more different kinds of moving parts. Even if you're running on a line, if you're running on an electric line above overhead, like a lot of the buses are, shit, dog, the buses that are going up and down Van Ness Avenue, give me a break. Those things are going to be trashed. But then the people will say, well, because there's there, there's a lot of emotion in public transit. And this is a thing that I think a, like people that are looking in from outside don't understand how emotional the issue is. And you talk to people who say... Especially me well, living half a block from one. I am very emotional about it. I, I can't wait to hear it come by again <laughs> to punctuate this conversation. But there are people who say, like you, I don't, I don't want to ride a bus, but I will ride a trolley. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people who say, what's the fucking difference? And you go, well, the uh, trolley when, is... when you're done, I'm going to give you my turns <laughs> out on this, and it's going to be so stupid and emotional. But you're right. You're right. Just ride a bus. Right. Ride a bus like everybody else. Like all the other poor people. Ride a bus. Yeah, ride a bus. And you're like, but a trolley is elegant and a trolley is neat mm-hmm. and and when you're talking about transit to people and you say you need to make transit neato so that it's better than something that feels like like dirty and lame mm-hmm. and people oh they scoff and they 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 roll their eyes but you're like well look people who buy cars like there are people who get the cheapest grayest car because it's the most efficient and those people probably work in government but everybody else is trying to buy a neato car like this stuff matters to people it's so abstract if you're a fucking car owner i'm sorry but if you're a car owner this is all so abstract to you all of this is just shit that's in your way if you're a car owner because you have sunk costs and beliefs as a car owner that make it very difficult to see this as anything other than what giving money to people in Africa like this this seems so abstract to you because you don't need it it's just a nuisance to you for so and, many people and a big big a big big argument that happens in this world is which one of these systems is less in the way of cars well i'll tell you um one thing that they they change the seating in these so they have seating around the perimeter the ones that you've been on like when you're here those are those the middle ones the burrito ones those are the ones right. where there's rows of two seats um, these have seating around the perimeter, uh, and then mostly standing space. These hold 60 people seated. Uh, I would not want to be on one of these that had 203 people, but the 203 people can travel on that train and go to stops and then go to Safeway. 203 people can travel on a car. This is, this is, well, they, you know, it's confusing. They say one car. It's really like two cars. It looks like two oh, cars, right, but right, no, right. no, no, no. But you know, the standard, it's really confusing to people because it's really two carlets that are hooked together to can, well because think about how it works it has to be able to go forward or reverse that's why they're right. it looks it's like a playing card it has right. a, a cockpit at both ends so it can go forward and backwards if it needs to do they but, ever hook four together yeah 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 that was called it's called a two-car train that's two the other difference train. with these is that you can hook up to 
uh, like you know bart bart has like like tons and tons of those but uh, i can't right. find the stat in here right now but you can hook i think up to like five of these together where you can wow. only do two of those with the old ones so if it well, were the end judah during rush hour and the streets can accommodate it i mean you got a fucking stew going that's right well and you can't do that with a bus right nope. you can't put five buses together but there are a lot of people who are like buses just use the streets so they're not in the way of cars the same way that if you sequester a train over to the side and give it a dedicated path, yeah. you're just taking a lane away. It's like, well, you're also, I mean, think about what it's like to drive in a city where the roads are full of buses. Like, it's not like your lane is somehow super liberated. A streetcar doesn't cut you off. <laughs> you know right, what I'm saying? Streetcar is yeah. on a fucking track. If It's not, it's not going to do what bus drivers in this town do, which is act like, like <laughs> mental patients. <laughs> They're so crazy. I love streetcars, and I will argue for them all day, oh, all me too. day and night. Look at Portland, man. Portland. You can actually, at the airport, you just get on a fucking streetcar and go where you want to go. It's amazing. So infuriating. Um, and so Everything my... that they do in Portland that makes Portland better and that shows the world how to go I hate them. just makes me so mad. So fucking angry. <laughs> fucking hate them. Um, I love the idea of Portland. Um, oh. I, and so here's my turns out. Here's the emotional part. And I think I've told you this before. I think you've probably seen this before. I'd be curious if you have a similar observation. This is not in any, this is not peculiar, uh, to my unusually like keep to yourself Chinese neighborhood. It's true nope. in pretty much every neighborhood. People fucking act differently on a streetcar. They do. They act, they comport themselves better. They're not shucking and jiving as much. They're not fucking with people as much. I can't, I don't know exactly why. Somebody should write a thesis on this, but I'm just here to tell you, having read, ridden a lot of streetcars and a lot of buses and a lot of BART, is that pound for pound, mile for mile, there's less bullshit on a train and people act better on a train. It's because... Do you find, first of all, am I completely fucking insane? Am I anywhere no. in the ballpark? Do you notice this? It's absolutely true. And it's because even if you ride the streetcar every day, and do it for decades. The streetcar is fun. It just is. It is. It is. And part of the reason it's fun is that the streetcar goes, the streetcar goes, like, yeah. it's, it's like, ding, ding. Hey, here it comes. Hey, buddy. Here choo, comes. Choo. Wave. Here, hey, John, here it comes. <laughs> and, there and it is. When wave you, to the streetcar. Well, <laughs> when you talk about it <laughs> at public meetings that way. And you say, here's why we need gondolas in Seattle. It's because... I like the bell. They're so, they're, it's, a, it's because they're fucking fun. And people... Go to the land of make-believe. Yeah. People are going to take... Because it takes 45 minutes to take the train. And, they, and people imagine when they get in their car... That it only takes 10 minutes because they've done that drive one time where it took them 10 minutes. And so oh, that's what absolutely. they think it talks. We all do that. You yeah. come up with the crazy, any time you got to go anywhere, you come up with the least amount of time it's ever taken. And then you take off 10% and go, that's how long it should take. <laughs> right. Like, I do on, it. Like, <laughs> at like 4 a.m. on a Sunday, I did this in 35 minutes once. And so, even though it takes an hour and 45 minutes, and I know it does. Oh, if you do the, the, the min, max, median, and mean, like, <laughs> you're going to see some patterns that'll blow your mind. But if you say this at a, if you say this at a meeting where people are trying to apportion money to different programs, and you say, look, if you build gondolas, if you build choo-choos, uh, people will take them. They will. They'll get out of their cars because because they feel like it, it, like their lives are fun. And I know that's, I know that's crazy. I know that when we're talking about building cities, we're thinking about 
like a collective of of uh, workers who all are dressed in blue uniforms. I mean, or I don't know what we're envisioning. Mostly driving but, cars. Mostly but, one person in a car going somewhere. But we cannot ever. You cannot talk in public about making. Uh, about building public projects or making things that are fun, and and oh, this is right. there's no there's is, no like people talk about this with Apple like whatever happened to the whimsy whatever happened to the fun right of like having a laptop with a with a with a little light that pulses that's roughly close to the human heartbeat like whatever happened can you have whimsy in your town can you have fun can you have coolness in your town I mean when you talk about public housing what ends up happening is people have all these examples of like well we built this public housing and the people that lived there didn't care about it and they started throwing trash down the stairwells and pretty soon it was uninhabitable and we had to tear it down. And it's very hard to say like, well, when you built those things, did you build them in a way that would give anyone pride in living there? Like, did you make the, did you give the windows a view? Did you make the spaces like cheery and amenable? Well, no, No, you made it look like a white collar prison. Like you basically put up the, the de minimis cheapest thing you have and a bunch of bright lights that are on all night. And they say, Oh look, all the poor people live there and cause problems. Yeah. And they, 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 they get out a they get out like a little digital calculator and they're like, well, if we make the ceilings eight foot tall, it will cost an extra 30 cents per mile. But if we make them seven feet tall, you know, we can save 10, 10 cents on everything. And then we can take that back and we're on time and under budget. And you just don't realize every little decision like that that robs the world of whimsy, it creates the it creates the problems that you that you're later trying to solve. It ends up being more expensive in the long run because and it's impossible to it's impossible to do a single study that demonstrates this. Um, but you know, when you go and say, we need a budget for this, and some of that budget is gonna be for a sunny lobby. That serves no purpose other than to give people a place to congregate. Or mm-hmm. we're going to put a little bit of trim over the doors so that it feels, you know, less like army housing and more like a home. And it's that's going to cost a little bit of money. It really will. It's It costs money. We know. We know it does. But, like, to to – and it's not a thing that you need to do 50 university studies on. You can just imagine yourself living there and – Imagine what little it would take to make you feel like, oh, this is my home and not just someplace that I've been shunted. And this is the little train I ride to work and not just the most efficient, uh, like, or, and, and by efficient, I mean like, what's the easiest thing to put on the road tomorrow? Mm-hmm. A bus. You yeah. go buy one. And I'm just, let me be clear. I'm not anti-bus. Buses are important. And like you use buses, they make tons of sense. There's certain kinds of places where there aren't tracks and it doesn't make sense. And you can there deploy, you can deploy more buses when needed. It's much more flexible in some ways. I'm not against buses at all. Me it's, either. Yeah. Just don't at me. Don't, I will ban you. This is uh 2011. Uh, if you take just cars, just cars for people registered in San Francisco, this is 2011. There was 300, about 380,000 cars in San Francisco. There are 320,000 street parking spaces, including, uh, meters. If you account for the, uh, vehicles that also come into San Francisco because they come here to work. So during the daytime from Monday through Friday in San Francisco, 505,000 vehicles in the city for, and 320,000 street parking spaces. 
So 200,000 of those people are just driving around in circles. Looking for <laughs> the going, I guess they're going to the Stockton Street garage. I'm not sure. No, that would count as parking spaces, right? I'm sure they, they put is, the Stockton Street This is, I guess, just street parking. But, the, you oh. know, you, when, this is, again, one of those things where once you start talking about this, it's sort of like uh, our president and his 17 angry Democrats, and that number keeps getting higher and higher every week or so. They're like, I, there's 75 million vehicles in San Francisco and 47 parking spaces. It, it does. It does get more exaggerated. Well, the the crazy thing for me has been, and I and I have to, and since and I think I knew this before, but running for office really just just hammered it into me. And I have it's a practice, right? You have to think about it. You have to you have to turns out yourself every day. You have to <laughs> you have to think about it every day when you're like, oh. sort of you sort of you sort of rejecting the obvious thing that you think makes sense to you in favor of new information. Well, a little, and and trying to say to yourself, what is, like you were saying, like, and then what happens? And just ask yourself that about every single thing that comes into your head is like, it's so obvious. Why don't they just, why don't they just station two guys across the street from the people where my dogs are barking? Or why don't we just ban all war and, you know, and give everybody a lollipop? Or why don't we, why don't we just have an executive order? There's no more war allowed. (laughs) Why don't we just house all the homeless? Like every single thing that you feel is obvious and simple, just just start at the start and then keep asking and then what happens. And then what happens. And what you end up with is this situation with the people across the street where uh, with the barking dog where you're like, the government, this is not a job for them. This is the government has a web page that makes it seem like they're acknowledging that this is their job because they had to. Because people were calling 911 or something. You know, they had to put something up yes. to indicate, like, yes, we are responsive to your concerns. But the whole job of that webpage is to divert you and get you away. And the people who would follow their steps all the way through are insane people. You know, like they're mad. And what happens is the the, the people do the cops do come out and they're like, Yeah, you gotta get your dog to stop barking. And if the people with the dog are like, that's what dogs do. That's when the, the, the people that followed all the steps are like, go on next door and are like, I followed all the steps mm-hmm. and nothing happened. And it's what they're not realizing is it's, this isn't something that you want government to do. If, if, if we had <laughs> government and cops that were actually empowered to keep your neighbor's dog from barking, those people would have too much power. They would be doing other things. <laughs> They'd be a menace. They would, you, you would have cops knocking on people's doors dog all cops. the time open up dog and, cops and there would be a lot more cops and and you would be you would be empowering them and funding them to be doing things that you would say like well wait now wait a minute i just wanted the dogs to stop barking i didn't want cops to have the power to knock on people's doors and make them do things <laughs> and it's like well instead, instead we have these professional distraction forms <laughs> Yeah, right. They, all, like you meet co- Muhammad, Sydney, <laughs> and Clinton. All the cops had to do was hire one person to fill to write a web page that was like, "Here's the 42 steps uh, that you have to." Oh, and, time to go to lunch. We really we nailed it, guys. <laughs> and then what happens? Your form gets sent. And then what happens? Well, your the form, form, gets, form is received. The form is received. And then what happens? Well, they send you a receipt for your again. form. You know. After the, after we've received the form, wait forty days, and then you'll get a receipt for the form. Or you know, you won't. Just keep sending and, the form. And on and on and on and on and on. 
and 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 the danger. I mean, and I feel this, and you you've talked about this a lot, but the schools in particular are are like an incubating petri dish of this kind of thing, and the schools can't get away. They can't just give you this like brush off. Oh, but they also get your when you were running for office. You know they get that in spades. You know there's like a ninety ten in terms of the neediness of this parent over that parent. Oh, it's insane, right? Yeah. And the and and when I went in to talk to the principal about, um, it was really it it was a great year because I went in early on to talk to the principal about standardized testing. And at that time, I didn't have one of my front teeth, which is always a thing that happens sometimes around the first. <laughs> did you of the put year. your feet up like you did at Sub Pop? No, I just went up to her. I went up to her on the playground, and I think maybe listen, I was wearing. Listen, a we need to discuss this. <laughs> listen, uh, I, I, I'm Marlo's dad, uh, and I think I might have been wearing a fedora with a giant peacock feather in it. I'm not 100 percent sure. <laughs> Are you a pickup artist, sir? <laughs> but you know, she gave me the real principle reply which was kind of she gazed off into the distance as though she was making sure some kids weren't hitting each other with hockey sticks Mm -hmm. and she said well standardized testing is not really a thing that we put that much stock in but we have to do it because we're doing it and and when they get the results they don't really do anything with it but eventually they it is how schools are funded and it is how they're judged and so we do end up tailoring everything to it but we don't really yeah and it was just like wow Mm. woo. And what it, what I found out later in the year was the principal of my daughter's school was a massive Long Winters fan, and she didn't recognize me. Oh, shit, dog. And so I kept going into her office. You could have signed her like, syllabus. I, I, well, and I ended up doing it at the end of the year. But at the beginning of the year, I was like, let's talk about standardized testing. And she was just, she was just like given me the because because you could you could see she's had this conversation with 800 parents sure and the ones that that have more confidence that roll up on her she just has more confidence in redirecting their energy uh but later on in the year somebody said oh you know that's the guy from the long winters and she was like titter 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 and then all of a sudden right i could have said what we should do around here is eliminate standardized testing and put in helicopter lessons. She takes out a notebook. Scribble, scribble, scribble. <laughs> Every yes, kid should have helicopter lessons. Yes, Mr. Lessons. Winters. <laughs> that will bring, you know, that'll bring order to our community. Yeah. Uh, but, but in fact, you know, she was a, she was like a, she's a professional educator mm-hmm. and her whole job is to. She's also a professional administrator. An administrator. Her whole job is to be in between, in between me and the people who are ordering her to to test students. And in the meantime, she has to deal with teachers and kids all day. Mm-hmm. And that's what her real job is, deal with teachers and kids. And and I, I looked at that, and I looked at the standardized testing, and I looked at, you know, because my kid came home a couple of times and was in, in tears. Yeah. Oh, it's, and I, it's the worst. And I was like, what happens? She's like, I'm terrible at tests. There's so much stress. And so I went to them and I was like, she says she's terrible at tests. And the reply was, well, see, it's a computerized thing. And if they keep answering questions correctly, the questions get harder. Oh, God. The computer makes the questions get harder until they reach the point where they can't answer them. And that's how we're testing something. They're, we're testing like the limits of their knowledge. And I was like, it seems to me like what you're doing is you are inculcating in children uh, 
horror about tests because the, you know, the, people, test, the test will not end until you failed. Yeah. People want to do well on tests. They want to feel like they did well. And they're like, oh, yeah. Well, tell her not to worry because the test will just keep getting harder until she, until she can't answer the question. That's the way somebody <laughs> Your designed. problem is you have hope. <laughs> or like or you you have any sense of like uh, that there is a standard that you can ever meet. Right. Uh, and so I so I said to her, like, look, uh, the computer just keeps getting harder until you reach a, an answer that you can't answer. Well, she's just like confused. And I'm confused because does that mean if you ever like what if the first question on the test you can't answer mm-hmm. or, or like what if what if you answer five questions and then you don't know the answer? Do you just like lean back and go, well, I guess I got to the limits of this computer. Like, Do they really make that clear to the kids that that's how it works? Not at all. I am sure they don't. And so their she parents said, have never experienced anything like that. No. And you're like, why is every kid sad now? Well, and, you know, I loved taking tests because tests were, uh, they were measurable. You could just answer the question and then at the end you would get a grade. Like it was a, it was simple. It wasn't, nobody got to, um, it wasn't an essay. It was, uh, mm-hmm. no, nobody could say like, well, your writing is good, but your topic was little weird so c it was just like here are the answers well what if i what if you'd taken the sat and the questions had just kept getting harder (sighs) i mean i don't understand where they're coming with where who came up with this what theory is this like even if you score off the charts you find out later you're still gonna walk away feeling like the biggest loser yeah, the, your experience. I don't, think, I don't, I don't know if people understand how stressful this is for kids. It is very stressful for my kid, who well, scores. It, she's in the highest everything at everything, and she's and she's really good at stuff like statistically, like on the paper, like she's really good. I mean, she's like she's like her reading levels off the charts. Her math is the highest percentile, you know, over here. She still stresses over all this stuff so bad, and this. She's told me before something you just said, but in her dumb kid way, where she's like, yeah, well, they do the test and every kid gets different questions and the questions change. And I was like, what does that mean? But I think this might be what you're describing. This is exactly what she, uh, this is what the principal said. Like, every kid gets different questions. What a horrible thing to do to a kid. And the questions change. So it's like the spelling bee where you're- I thought it was a cheating thing. I thought it was a thing to, like, keep people from cheating. But if you're taking it on a computer and it's dynamically changing as you're doing it, you're just going to keep going until you fail. Well, and in a way, like, I feel like it comes from, and, you know, I, every time I talk about computers on this program, I get a lot of angry letters. That's a vocation. From John Syracuse. Would you like to, would you like to uh, let people know you'll ban them if they do that? <laughs> no, no, no. I don't even know how to ban them. But I'll ban them. But computers, it's, it's one of these things where if you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. If you have a computer that can randomize questions and make it harder every time, you, what are you going to do? Not use it? What are you going to do? Just have that computer duplicate oh, a paper Oh, it's test? a Jurassic Park type situation. Yeah, or are yeah. you going to, are you going to train the computer to do things all kinds of tricky ways? Because, you know, because you can, you can show some graphs to somebody that's buying systems and say, look what our system can do. Oh, it's dynamic. It's, yeah, it's not just like a, it's not just some kind of photocopier. This thing is dynamic education. <sighs> And you're just like, wow, it's like a defense contractor in a way. If you're tempted to email us or contact us about this, <laughs> if you're somebody who actually works in the industry, I just want to, just in the nicest way possible, I really want to encourage you to not contact us about this. <laughs> it's very important that you do that. 
You know what? Go. You know what, John? Let's <laughs> go to Reddit. Go on a Reddit about no, this. No, no, not I you. Will not. not you, the listener. The oh, listener. Okay. If you have things to share with people, you get on a four chan, an eight chan, a sixteen chan, whatever chan or a Reddit. You go on a Reddit, and you can you can discuss these points of view in a very lively way. I I went on a Reddit the other day. Oh, uh, Jiminy. Well, because uh, because you know this uh, this podcast I do about war movies, Friendly Fire. Apparently, yeah. it has an active Reddit community. Oh, that's cool. And I went on this there. This can be very uh, nice. This can be well. Nice. They can be, but also well, they cannot be. Sure. And I went on, and there, you know, the two, the other two guys on that program have a show about Star Trek. Yes. And the theme of that show and of that community is very yes and. Like no one. I mean, if if you say like, oh, Star Trek is ridiculous, everybody Same goes. The, the, <laughs> the new generation community is 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 very kind to each other. Super supportive. Mm-hmm. Everybody agrees with each other. Ninety nine percent, and the one percent they disagree, it's very friendly disagreement, and it's like like Canadian, really, like a Canadian disagreement. It's yeah, it's sort of like oh, tribbles, am I right? Or yeah. I don't. They don't. They don't have tribbles in Next Generation, but whatever. Yeah. It's all very friendly. And so these two guys brought a lot of their fans from their show about Star Trek over to our show about war movies, where I say, no, I do not agree with you. And I also do not agree to disagree. I just flat out disagree with not only your take on this war movie, but your entire premise about how the world works. And let me explain to you about Vietnam mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and also about about uh about Napoleon. Oh boy. And also, Bonaparte. We call him Bonaparte. And also about the Thirty Years' War. And you know, my my co-hosts are my friends, and we have a very good time. It's super fun for us. But there are people on the people who have come from that other show who get their feelings hurt. Oh, and, okay. And they get their feelings hurt just because I'm a meanie. I'm a meanie pants. Oh, right. And so there was a Reddit where somebody said, because oh, we just we just did Star Wars because it has the word wars in the title. Mm, a little bit of a and stretch. So, and so one of the guys was like, no, it's a war movie. And I was like, it's definitely not. But, you know, you have co-host, you have to collaborate with people. I know you know you know about this. Yes. Collaborating. You have mm. to you have to do what they say sometimes. Collaborate team. And so uh, somebody's on there and they're like, I haven't listened to the episode yet because I don't want to hear what old grouchy Roderick has to say about my favorite movie. Meh. Star Wars. Meh. Meh. And I'm on this Reddit because somebody on the program was like, you got to go look at the Reddit, man. Everybody's like yeah, loving it over there. Oh, people have such a different conception of what a fun thing is. <laughs> and so I read well, this comment. A couple people over here weren't total dicks. You should check it out. And I wrote, a, I wrote a reply to them, which I don't think they were expecting. Oh, dear. Where, where I said, what, it, what can I say or do on this program to make you stop listening sooner? Mm-hmm. And they deleted their comment and then wrote me then commented on my comment saying, I apologize. Oh, geez. That's not good for anybody. And now I'm like, oh, See? oh, oh. You check your privilege. Here's what I needed to do. Mm-hmm. Not go on Reddit. Hey, guys. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> Lol. This is not for me. This is for you. You guys do this. I don't belong here. Yep, I don't want to hear, hear what you say. Yep. I don't want any at replies. Here it comes. Ready? Ready? Choo-choo. Hi, Trolley. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to the land of make-believe. 